It's Thursday, September 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Sell. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Howdy. We've got some earnings. We do. It's it's actually it's kind of exciting. It is kind of exciting. I say earnings in air quotes because <laughs> not all companies are reporting earnings. Um, but uh, let's start with one that is, and that's Lululemon Athletica, and the stock up somewhere in the neighborhood of 17% this morning because second quarter results came in better than expected. There are a bunch of numbers we can go through, but the one that leaped out at me was the direct consumer sales up up nearly 30%. And This is one of those retailers where we've talked in the past about, hey, look, you want to succeed in this day and age, you better have a strategy for direct-to-consumer and Nice improvement, if nothing else. No question. Yeah, I mean, this is you know partly the power of low expectations. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> and, and and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the expectations weren't huge. Right. They 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 were not huge, and and so you had a situation where they beat the expectations. Uh, I think more importantly for them, they, albeit ever so slightly, raised earnings guidance for the year. Uh, which I think you know between between the the beat and the raise there the the market is is thinking okay well maybe maybe this isn't a sinking ship after all you know I mean there is a lot of power in that Lululemon brand uh, and and it's just been a very mismanaged company I think for a little while here so hopefully uh, Pot Devon will be able to will be able to keep this this thing going in the right direction but I think you you astutely noted the the direct to consumer sales and that's the first thing I actually go to in in the release is to see how that's performing because really you're seeing this is becoming a very big differentiator for a lot of the the success stories out there, um, like your Under Armors and Nikes of the world. Uh, and so, direct to consumer at sixty three and a half million dollars this quarter. It represents represented sixteen point two percent of all sales, and it grew about twenty nine percent. So you look at that and compare that to something like Under Armour. And so, Under Armour for its most recent quarter, they grew their direct to consumer sales by thirty eight percent. And that direct-to-consumer segment represents 31% of total net revenue. So while you see Under Armour is is certainly making more progress there, I think it also shows there's still opportunity there for Lululemon to keep to keep you know growing out that part of the business because it is higher margin income, and unfortunately for Lululemon, their margins are getting hammered. Uh, you look at their gross margin was down about 350 basis points, and that that trickled all the way down to the bottom line. And so they're going to really need to figure out how to sort of stabilize that margin line uh, to 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 make you know, investors really buy into to the the long term turnaround of the story. It's a tough balancing act because right here in Old Town Alexandria, about a mile from Fool HQ, there's a brand new. Lululemon Athletica store going in, prime real estate, just a perfect, you know, Old Town gets a lot of tourists. Yeah. And this is right on King Street, which is the main drag in Old Town. So, busy, busy. That, that is a, a, a busy location. That is a store that if you're an executive at Lululemon Athletica, not just because new stores in theory do well, but that's a store that really should do well. That should be a very high performing store for them. So, while on the one hand you got to grow the direct to consumer base you also need to take advantage of 
prime real estate. Yeah, it's no doubt. I mean, I think you, you look at something a little bit different, obviously, than apparel retail, but uh, Chipotle, for example, I think has done a really good job through the years of making sure they open up stores where the demand is, so they don't have to worry about closing down those underperformers later. And, and no matter what, I mean, if you're going to be a retailer like this, you definitely need the physical presence. Because also remember, you know, that that direct-to-consumer I mean that that is going to be a very robust part of the business going forward, but it's also something that it, it's not going to just. That's not what the business is going to totally become, right? Um, and and I think that when you have that physical location, uh, especially in a high traffic place like that, I mean that would probably be a good channel check for us at some point in the next six months or so, is to kind of just stroll by there and see what that store looks like. I mean I was at the mall, I don't know, a week or so ago with my daughters. And it was it was before school had started. Uh, seemingly, would have been a busy day, and uh, it, it wasn't that busy. But I was noting in a lot of those stores, Michael Kors, Coach. I mean, they were crickets. Empty. I mean, <laughs> crickets empty. chirping. Yeah, and and so yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot to be said when you see those stores uh, when, when when they're empty. I mean, that that is very telling. And, and we have a, a big holiday season coming up here, so. Where is this stock right now? Because obviously it's a good day. We talked about the low expectations. They raised their guidance just a little bit. It seems like, and and this is a stock that has been hit a little bit. Um, uh, something that you alluded to that we can maybe touch on a little bit more before we move on to our next topic: the competition. This is uh, uh, when your competition is. Now, Nike and Under Armour and some of these other retailers, they're not just going to say what you want about Lululemon's brand, and I think it is a strong one. Um, I don't think that Nike or Under Armour look at it and think that it's any stronger than the brand they have. And by the way, they can offer the same yoga wear at maybe not a discount, but certainly a cheaper price. Well, yeah, I mean, that's Lululemon. I think is not going to have the same pricing power that they thought they once had. I mean, I think I think we're going to see them having to compete more on the price side here going forward because Under Armour and Nike definitely see this this yoga space as as really you know a big opportunity, and, and Lululemon realizes that it's levered to that yoga space, and they're trying to become more things to more you know people in the in the athletic world and the sporting world. So, uh, you know, I think that what Lululemon really could probably benefit from is is maybe making a couple of big signings. You know, I mean, I think Under Armour we saw chasing after Kevin Durant. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Nike ended up getting keep keeping that contract. But I think you know, signing signing Giselle uh, recently for Under Armour was a little bit of an eye catcher. People thought, what in the world was that all about? But really, think about it. I mean, that opens that opens Under Armour up to an entirely new consumer base potentially that didn't really think about Under Armour that way before. So there's a lot of power there. I mean, that's advertising for these companies. And and so I think Lululemon could probably benefit from that. When I look at the stock, you know, I mean, I. Think I thought it was a pretty attractive-looking stock at 48. That's when it started catching my eye at around 48 dollars because I thought this this is a brand that you know if they just bring in a couple of good quarters, it, it could really it could really skyrocket back up. So somewhere around the neighborhood of 25 times earnings today, I, I think it's an interesting look because we also know they're going to be buying back a boatload of shares. You know, they repatriated a lot of that cash to, right. to buy back a bunch of shares, and, and I think you know that's interesting to see that they're at least looking at that low share price as an opportunity maybe there to to return some value to shareholders. So. Uh, I think that also I'm cautiously optimistic with these guys. I don't own shares, but I would certainly uh, I would be keeping my eye on it. Shares of Kroger, and they're down a little bit, maybe half a percent. Um, and I'm curious as to why you think that is. Because second quarter profits were up nearly 10 percent. They raised their full year guidance. 
Is it simply by virtue of the fact that this stock has done really well over the last year? I mean, it's up more than 35% over the last year. So, is this yet another, that's a really good quarter and we love the raise guidance, but given the year you've just had, you, you need to you need to perform even better. Well, yeah, and I think the key the key thought here really is that we are in a bit of a new phase sort of in this grocery space where uh, consolidation is starting starting to kind of take over and really help separate because scale matters so much in the grocery space. You're right, the stock Kroger's Kroger shares have done phenomenally well over the past year and past 5 years. I mean, the last 5 years the stock's up 150% trouncing the market. Uh, and I think you know part of that is because they do have the scale to be able to keep those costs low and and keep you know the prices that they offer consumers low. Uh, but you also look at other players in the space. I mean, you have just an onslaught of your Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and Wegmans and places like this that are popping up everywhere, offering you know more interesting items. Uh, certainly, organics and naturals are becoming a bigger uh, a bigger offering in all of these places. And so I, I think there just there are a lot of known quantities when you talk about Kroger. It's a big company already. They have a lot of stores. Uh, I think they did a good thing buying Harris Teeter because that opens up to a little bit of a, of a newer uh, customer dynamic. Um, it's just it's a difficult space because they always have to compete on price. They run on those razor thin margins, and what's going to be interesting to see kind of develop in the space over the next few years is the delivery model, right? Because now we're seeing Amazon Fresh, uh, you're seeing the, the this new relationship with Whole Foods and Instacart, where they're going to open up in 15 major markets to start delivering there. Um, and if that's something that really takes off, then you know maybe we see Kroger really try to build out that presence as well because it's it's historically been very difficult for these stores. To offer that because of the costs involved. In some ways, it makes it all the more amazing that the stock is up 150 percent in five years. Because I mean, it's not a biotech, it's not a startup tech company, it's a grocery chain. So I mean, if nothing else, it tells you that they are smart operators. And I want to go back to something that that I was thinking when we were talking about Lululemon and Under Armour, uh, and that is. I think when you're looking at a retailer, whether it's a restaurant or an apparel retailer, that sort of thing, I think one of the things that you might want to think about as an investor is, what is the track record that this business has in terms of opening locations? Because I think the longer they go, the the more years they can have success in opening chains, then I think as an investor, the more you need to trust them. Uh, the classic example is, is Starbucks and people just sort of going to a city and saying, "Well, wait a minute, there's a Starbucks <laughs> there, and across the street there's another Starbucks." But at some point, you have to look at Starbucks and how they've run their business over 20 years and say, "Yeah, do you think they did that because they're morons, or do you think they did that because there's an opportunity and they saw, you know?" And again. Lululemon Athletica doesn't have, hasn't been around as long as Starbucks, but if they can, you know, if I think if you're an investor and you're looking at retailers, that's one more question to ask: How long have they been around? What's their track record in opening locations? Because then you can, because I mean, Chipotle is another one. You mentioned them. I don't know where I, I was somewhere in, I think Maryland, sort of like out. I don't want to say rural Maryland, but I was I, I was out somewhere. I, you know, it was, somewhere in the state. No, of no, when, when uh, driving to our annual meeting. Oh yeah, which yeah, is yeah. On the eastern right. shore, and somewhere along the way, uh, uh, there's a new Chipotle, and I and my I remember seeing that. And yeah. my gut reaction 
Really? Was, what is it doing here? And then I thought, oh, well, wait a minute. They're pretty conservative about how they open. So, I'm pretty sure they did all the appropriate research and didn't open this place unless they were sure it was going to be a hit. Yeah, and you're, I mean, you said, I, I was thinking the same thing. We have a little house down on the, on the river about three hours away from here, and we drive through when you get off the interstate to get on the highway. It's kind of like the same thing. You, you, you run past this one little collection of, of stores, and you see there's like a new Chipotle and like a Five Guys and a Panera. And, and, and invariably, and Chick, uh, Chick-fil-A, too, they are always so packed, so crowded. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's an excellent observation there. When, when you see a management team that's done a good job over the course of time opening stores, not having to close them back down, that's a good signal that they are really putting a lot of thought into it. They understand the costs involved with having to shut down stores. It's just a hassle. It costs money. You see it run through the income statement. It affects profitability. Um, and, it, and, it, and it just it brings into question, actually, how, how well they are managing the, the company. And so, I mean, I think Kroger has done a very good job through the years of making sure that they put stores where stores are needed. Um, and it's just now, it's it's just such a known quantity and it's a big company. But it, it I think the stock has done really well because management has done so well managing the company. And also, you got to love grocery stores in the sense that they bring in so many, it's that repeat purchase model. You know, everybody's got to eat. And when you have this big, huge offering of brand names plus those private store names that can give you a, a little bit of a lower bill at the end of the day, it, it's going to bring a lot of people through the doors. Not everyone has great results, though, <laughs> because for the 10th straight quarter, Radio Shack has posted a loss. Uh, what is going on with this stock, though? Because they can't, they come out with terrible numbers. Yeah. No, I don't think anyone is surprised by that. No. But they say that they are also exploring options, including a sale or investment. On Wednesday, shares had dropped about 35% from just in just a couple of days' time. Yeah. Uh, when I checked the stock right before coming in the studio, it was up around 20%. Is it all just is is the rise in the stock simply because it's trade it was it went into the day trading less than a dollar and it's all about the sale or investment that may materialize in the next few months. Well, that's definitely the news that is moving the stock. I mean, I think it was maybe a week or so ago when the initial headline came out that there may be you know some interest in in someone coming in there and and uh, you know giving them some cash and the stock I think took off maybe thirty five or forty percent that day um, and then you saw over the course of the next few days it sort of moderated back out then there are questions are they really going to be able to get this cash and so what you have here is a perfect example of a story that's trading solely on headlines there's there and I mean this is a great example of a company where look at the fundamentals of this business and ask yourself why why are they even still in business what are they doing so well. Uh, you know, why would I want to invest in them? You wouldn't want to invest in them, right? These are all just these are all this is all just trading. This is trading on headlines and news. Um, you know, I, I, it's interesting to me to see all of these headlines that come out and say, okay, there's you know, Radio Shack may may have a potential cash infusion coming, and that's great. Okay, fine, but what you know, what the question you're not asking, what you should be asking, is what the hell are they going to do with that money? Buy another right? Super Bowl? Ad. Well, it's very possible, <laughs> but I mean, the cash burn for this company is phenomenal. I mean, if you go back to 2009, they had 908 million dollars on their balance sheet. Today, in cash, today it's 30. <laughs> I mean, this is a company that's hemorrhaging cash. Yeah, I'm sure throwing more cash is the solution, right? Just give them some more money, let them burn it, right? I mean, that's just, I think, a very good sign of a company that is in a total death spiral. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't take these shares if you gave them to me. If you gave them to me, I wouldn't even take them. I don't even want, I don't even be involved with it. And, and, I, and I, you know, I told people that on Twitter. I said, listen, if you get mixed up with this, 
be prepared to get burned. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe somebody comes in there and makes an offer to buy Radio Shack for two bucks a share. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's not even worth considering taking the chance in my book. So, Dell Computer struggling as a public company after being the single best performing stock in the 1990s, struggles as a public company um, in the 21st century and goes private. And for all the reports we've seen, the company is doing well. Michael Dell is certainly a hell of a lot happier running a private company. He doesn't have to report to us. Right. <laughs> uh, but I look at Radio Shack, and other than the real estate, I can't yeah. imagine anyone looking at Radio Shack and saying, I can make this work as a private company. I yeah. just don't see it. I don't either. And I mean, you see people get in there and try to do that. They think they can turn things around. I think, what was it? Uh, was it Ackman and J.C. Penney? I, I think yeah. he was he was getting in and maybe thinking he knew a little bit more than he really did about a, you know a, a given market. And I think that with Radio Shack, yeah, they have a lot of obsolete inventory on their balance sheet. They don't do anything different. Um, and I, you know, really the third strike for me is that the brand the brand doesn't really communicate anything worth worth anything to me. And I mean, I, so I, like I don't think there's there's just nothing you can really do with that. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna li- I'm gonna leave this to to the the deep value investors who feel like maybe there's something hidden in there. I just to, to me that's just not even worth looking at. You know what I think? Other I, than for entertainment, <laughs> I, I, th- I think this is a deep value investment that even Ron Gross, who runs MDP Deep Value, he runs a deep value yeah. service, and I'm pretty sure Ron looks at this and says, "I want no part of this." I think he would politely <laughs> decline, though he was also the one I think a few radio shows back he said. Uh, maybe his bold prediction was was that Amazon was going to buy Radio Shack and utilize the distribution. Well, so it's, um, and that gets to the real estate. Yeah, and and I don't. I mean, I don't. I think he, that was just a bold prediction. I'm sure he was he was saying that half heartedly. But I mean, it was interesting to see how uh, Amazon is now working uh, even more closely with the U.S. Postal Service uh, in in utilizing that distribution network, which is obviously huge and, and terribly mismanaged. Uh, so I think there's you know a great opportunity there for Amazon in the uh, in the Postal Service. I, I just don't see. I don't see any. I don't see anyone out there looking at Radio Shack and thinking that would be, you know, a similar kind of advantage. So, I, 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 I was asked earlier on Twitter about how long until bankruptcy. I mean, it could be weeks. It could be months. Given their cash burn, given their competitive position, and given all that we know today, I, I would not be surprised at all to see bankruptcy filings within the following month. All right. I was going to wrap up, but now I'm compelled to ask. <laughs> let's say, let's say Ron is right. Yeah. And Amazon, Amazon announces they're buying Radio Shack mm-hmm. for whatever amount of money. You know, let's say it's a dollar fifty a share or something like that. Is Jeff Bezos the kind of CEO that you would look at and say, "Well, you know what? I, if anyone can make it work, it's him." I, like, who's on the short list of CEOs that you say, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna." I'm gonna run with this. Jeff Bezos is the, he's the kind of CEO where yeah I'm gonna if there's anybody who's gonna be able to figure out how to make it work, I, he would be on my short list. You know I think there's there's a reason why Don Graham asked him to acquire the Washington Post. I mean that was not something that he fell backwards into. I mean that was right. something Don Graham wanted because he felt like Jeff was the best opportunity to save that business, which was in the middle of a huge disruptive uh, movement. 
And and so I think the thing with Radio Shack is, you know, I mean, what Bezos and Amazon want are these huge, big fulfillment centers, right? Where they they're just trying to bring those fulfillment centers everywhere they can uh, to to reduce the the distance from you know the the fulfillment center to the consumer, thereby shipping faster, bring the shipping costs down. You know, Radio Shack's infrastructure doesn't it doesn't really possess anything like that. So if it's something where you're, fo- you're forcing the consumer to go to that physical location, I, I I can't imagine he'd be interested in that unless it was something where he just bought them and filled them with Amazon lockers and saying, okay, we have this Amazon locker store where you know you can order your goods, have them shipped to your Amazon locker, and you can go pick it up on your way home from work or something like that. But honestly, I think he's probably more interested in the same day delivery, the drones, things like that. So uh, who knows? Apple's the only other one I can think of. <laughs> Just because they have so much cash yeah. and because the Apple stores are so profitable. Not that I'm advocating for yeah. them to do that, but I could see if they did that. Analysts would just say, "Well, wait a minute. It's a drop in the bucket in terms of their cash, and if they can make a few, and it signals a, a greater expansion of the Apple stores." But yeah. other than Tim Cook and Jeff Bezos, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I, don't, I don't know that anybody can save this one. All right, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.